There are a number of acceptable things to do, and there's one unacceptable thing. The acceptable things are go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, send in a little note. Another acceptable thing is to email totally. us at ourdailyredpod at gmail.com. 100% acceptable. Let us know what you think. Let us know maybe what you want to hear us talk about. Maybe someone you want us to interview. I just want to know I didn't interrupt you while you were saying the email address. For the first time. Yeah. Got it. The other thing is you can go to Instagram where there's the People hour. People can change. You just interrupted me. Oops. <laughs> Was that on purpose? Yes. Okay. I didn't I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. Our Daily Red on Instagram. And you can also leave a message there. Yeah, but the administrator of that Instagram account, they're pretty negligent. So not social media savvy, I'll tell you that. No. So if you're looking for like immediate gratification, don't go there. Here's the unacceptable thing. Yep. The unacceptable thing is to do none of those options. To simply listen and move on with your life, unacceptable. Lame. Unacceptable. Boring. You must immediately right now either email, go to Instagram, or go to Apple Spotify. Apple Spotify. I say I that a lot. It. Do I say that a lot? I don't know, but I, I that sounded right to me. <laughs> either one of those options. Yep. This is Our Daily Red, a podcast during which we drink a bottle of red wine. Unless it's Dry December. Are you still doing Dry December? Well, then we can talk about something we've read today. Will it be provocative, though? Well, the whole idea is to be provocative, but not so much that we blow up our marriage. Yeah, we don't want to do that, especially before the holidays. That's what Christmas Eve is for. (laughs) (laughs) That is Ashley. And he is Barker. And we don't really have an agenda today. It's, it's it's holiday season and we're back and forth with whiplash from event to event and shopping mm-hmm. and still working and we don't really know what we're going to talk about tonight. It's the holiday season. Ugh, I hate that, that song. That is the worst. There, there, no, there, are two, there are two holiday songs that are in my top two for the worst holiday songs. Okay. That's that one. Andy, what's his name? Williams. Andy Williams, the... Holidays, season. Season. and hoop dee doo. Oh, it's hoop the worst. Dee-da. The lyrics Whatever. are terrible. It's awful. And then I personally despise the Beach Boys holiday song, which just sounds they're so fucking bored. Christmas comes this time each it does, year. It sounds what an like insp- it, aspiring message. It sounds like a dirge. It's it's far less uplifting than even the John Lennon "So This Is Christmas" song. Which is pretty depressing. Yeah, but at least it has a unique tone to it. The, the, the Beach yeah. Boys one, it sounds like they it sounds like they repurposed one of those songs and their, their famous songs and just changed the lyrics and that they hate themselves. Yeah. It sounds no, like it's... that guy from Love Actually having <laughs> repurposed his pop song and he fucking hates it. To me, it always sounds like someone put a gun up against their head and forced them to sing that in the studio. Cause what? Absolutely. It's just joyless. And also the message, even if they sang it with enthusiasm and joy, the message is Christmas comes this time each year. Like, oh, look at the calendar. It's December again. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's one of it's one of my least favorites. Although that caring carpenter, oof. That song today, when it turned on, I was like, nope, turning this off. <laughs> 
Poor Karen Carpenter. Such an incredibly talented musician, and I cannot sound the, stand the sound of her voice. Really? Is that common? Do people have that common thought, or is that just you? I think it's just me. Because mm. I think most people would think, oh, she's very melodic. Why do birds suddenly... It's that blah. I can't do it. I don't know if it's just because I hear that, and it feels like being carsick in the back seat of my parents' car on a road trip and the smell of sun chips carpenter yeah anywho i need to pour myself some wine well i am still doing dry december i mean let's let's be clear i've i've had a couple of beverages between now and last you heard from me uh had a big work milestone uh we went out and had a little bit of a night on the town uh, without the kids so I have had a few drinks, but on this particular occasion, I am drinking my non or de-alcoholized red wine again, and I've actually found one that's legit. Oh, and which you one? can thank the Germans. This is a German winery. The winery is called Leitz, L-E-I-T-Z, and the wine, which they advertise as a Pinot Noir, is called zero point five. And that's because after they de-alcoholize it, they guarantee that there's less than 0.5% alcohol by volume in it. Cool. And it's 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 really, really light. Like it's not thought-provoking at all. It's it, it's like a like a I know you've had a couple of wines from Beaujolais that you thought were kind of watery and just like really thin. Yeah. That's kind of what this is like. But it but it's actually it's convincing. Like yeah. a lot of these other red wines I've been drinking, like like that's not a wine. That's something, but it's not a wine. Yeah. This tastes like wine. Cool. Um, and they actually make a white, a Riesling, that they call Einswein Zero, and it is super convincing. So much that I poured myself a glass of that dealcoholized Riesling the other day, and I had to go back to the fridge and make sure I had pulled out the right bottle and poured myself the dealcoholized one because I was convinced it was a white wine. And I want to be, I want to make sure that we're really clear that we're talking about German Rieslings, which are very dry, they're very crisp. They're not the yucky, sweet garbage that American... (laughs) I know we talked about this in one of our past episodes, but for anyone who didn't listen to that, no, we have not had like a lobotomy and are suddenly drinking... Syrupy American Riesling. We're talking about the... The best Rieslings, which you can find, which are German style. Yeah, so this dealcoholized one, again, called Einzweig Zero, uh, it, yeah, it's bright, it has acid, it has a little bit of like a stinky cheese on it, which a lot of nice white wines do have a little bit of that aftertaste. Um, totally convincing as a wine. Even, even if you don't like that particular style, it, you have to admit that it's convincing as a wine. So that's my big find, this winery, Lights from cool. Germany, which I... Can't find this stuff locally. I bought it on a website called Boisson, which is French for beverages, I guess, drinks. Um, and oh, they mailed it to me in like two days. Did you? Is that spelled P O I S S O N? B O I S S O N. B. B as in boy. Yeah. Okay. Boisson would be a fish. Well, I um I I I cracked open literally cracked because cracked the seal on this screw top. Um, bottle that you bought at our local grocery store called XOBC. It's a 2020 crowded table wine. And it says a bespoke blend, Washington State. But what's really cool is this was founded, this winery or cellars, excuse me, was founded in 2019 by Brandy Carlisle, 
her wife Catherine and their friends Jerry and Amy Andrews. And um and the red wine is bottled by XOBC sellers in Quincy, Washington. So again, this is another local winery here in Washington and this is really cool. It's um another one where it donates proceeds to Brandy's Looking Out Foundation, a true outlier showing showcasing female and LGBTQ plus leadership. So I think this hits a lot of buckets. First of all, the wine's pretty delicious. As you know, I like something that's probably a little bit more rustic, a little bit more earthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, it's not jammy. It's not hit you over the head. It's really nice. It's a super dark purple, uh, but it's pretty, it's also pretty light. So it's got some of the characteristics of a Washington wine, which is. And Brandy Carlisle lives nearby here, a little town called Maple Valley. Um, she lives, apparently lives on a compound with her partner and the two other guys in her band. Oh, I didn't and, know like, she lives in Maple Valley. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, what is the song she's best known for, her big famous one? Well, the one that I really, is The Story. The that Story. That was her first right. big hit. It was on the Grey's Anatomy soundtrack. It was great. Oh, is that how it got popular, the yeah, Grey's Anatomy? it was on that one. Man, I swear, mm-hmm. way back in my mm-hmm. newspaper days, I swear I met her. And there was even a time when I was doing um, music reviews for a music publication down in San Diego. And I thought maybe I I got her first recording. And I cannot remember. I cannot for the life of me find it. This would have been like just pre-internet era. Um, But I swear I met her and like got her CD and, and wrote about her music um, and then forgot about her for many, many years. I mean, I can't remember thinking she was like a kid, you know, at the time and I can't place it. So it might, it maybe have a created memory or I remember when that song first, when the story first came out and you said that at the time you said, Oh, I think I've covered her. Or I interviewed her. Like you definitely felt that you had some kind of connection point to her i really do i really do and and so maybe it wasn't when i was in san diego it could have been when i was up here uh in this area because if she's from here it would have made sense that i would have been writing an article about some young teenage phenom trying to make it in the music yeah. maybe maybe that happened i maybe. i just can't forever for the life of me find where i would have written that um but i really believe that's true you know i have another story like that do you know the movie freeway with Kiefer sutherland and reese witherspoon no to some degree, I don't remember the plot now exactly, but to some degree That's she's... a weird combo. Yeah, and she's playing some kid. I don't know if she was uh, a woman of the evening or whatnot, but somebody who gets up getting picked up in a car driven by Kiefer Sutherland, who's playing like a serial killer type character. Oh. And so it's like, you know, picked up on the side of the freeway, dumped off the side of the freeway. I don't really remember. All I know is when I was still a teenager, this is, you know, whatever, almost 30 years ago now, I went to this little art house theater in San Diego and watched that with, with my girlfriend at the time and, and another couple. And I'm sitting there watching this movie and I am I am verbatim saying what's going to happen next. Oh. I had seen the movie before. I knew it. I had seen that movie before. I knew everything that was going to happen. It was in my mind's eye, very, very vivid. I'd seen the movie before. But again... This was at an art house. It was a small film. It wasn't a huge release. And it had just come out. There's no way I could have seen that movie before. But I knew I had. I had seen it. I knew exactly what was going to happen. All the images in the movie were so super familiar to me. That's bizarre. Very strange. I don't know if you've told me 
that story before. And I don't think I've watched it since. I would love to watch it again and see, like, does it still ring a bell? Does it still bring you something up? You must have watched it in another dimension. And I don't even think, I'd have to go back and look at, like, an IMDb thing. I don't think that Reese Witherspoon was even in a known quantity at that time. Because, again, it was a small, low-budget, like... That's bizarre. Yeah. Wow. You like that story, don't I you? I do, because it's, it's, it, it's me... It, well, it makes me want to ask you, do you, why do you think that is? And you can't just say, I don't know. I want, I want to like a theory. At that time in my life, I guess I was probably 17, 18 years old. I just thought, I didn't think much more about it because I thought I must have seen this somehow. Maybe it was re-released. Maybe it got, it was out before and then came out for a secondary release. And I just was like, there's no way I had to have seen this before. And then I chalked it up to some like my poor memory that I don't remember where I saw it. Yeah. Uh, but I'd have to go back and say, what was the release date? You know, did it have a limited release? And did it come back out? But but I would have known. I don't watch movies more than once. I don't like rewatching movies. No, so I, I wouldn't don't. have watched the same movie, especially like it wasn't particularly good. You know, I wouldn't have like yeah. said, I need to see that again. I, I, I don't have a theory for you. I don't have a theory for do you. you. Think you do you think... Do you think you watched it in another, like an alternate universe? Do you believe in that? That's how vivid it was. And that's how detailed I knew what was going to happen. Hmm. That's in a movie that I didn't even know what it was. You know, I, there used to be a day in time when people would go to the movie theater and watch a movie, not even knowing what it was about. I don't You know, you didn't, you didn't see the trailer the... 10 months out and then the secondary sneak trailer and then read all about it before you see it. All this hype that comes up. I, I, I hate that. I'm so that. glad I don't know Some of the best world. movies. What what world? Of not knowing what the oh, film was going to be like. Oh, you love to know what things are about. Oh, God. I would have hated every Some moment of Some of the best that. movies I've ever watched were ones I walked into the theater and had no idea what it was about and came out super delighted because I just, I had no expectations. Oh. Mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> that, I don't just I don't like that I like to know I, I, and actually that movie we were watching the other night Leave the World Behind mm-hmm. I I sat there and I immediately pulled up the plot on, oh did you really yeah. I didn't see you I was because I I was like Mm-mm, I don't what's gonna happen with these deer why like is this guy GH what like is, are these that, that says something more about you though that, that that's like have you examined that like why you need to know yeah, I have like a control issue. Hello, <laughs> have we met? My name's Ashley. Hello. <laughs> I do. Th- I think health-wise, things are looking up. My fingernail fell off, so this is great. I, oh, I'm okay. Feeling- what's more offensive? What do you think is more offensive? The picture of my jeans with a ripped hole in the crotch, or a close-up of your new nail with your old nail? next to it because i know you i know you did a photo shoot with your old nail before you tossed out yeah. in the trash you said goodbye to your old nail i said goodbye with its nail polish still on it <laughs> gross it was so gross backstory for the listeners i smashed my finger while we were camping the end of august down in oregon like so we're talking about like four months ago yeah and it it like bruised on the basically the nail bed and i think it was about a couple of months ago and I was like, mm, this is kind of weird. This nail's not growing and it's still bruised. This is kind of weird. And Barker says, you should probably go see someone about that. I'm like, no, it's fine. 
and then like three weeks ago I'm like wait a minute this nail's about to fall off this is bad and so I've been like putting band-aids I mean I literally have gone through now boxes of band-aids and I think the my fingerprint on my thumb is partially gone because of all the band-aids but yeah you remember you you promised to replace all of those band-aids in our first aid kit I don't want to need a first aid kit no. and find no bandages and then curse your dead nail. Well, it has definitely, having had to pilfer through our first aid kits here in the house, I'm realizing we need to drastically redo them and they need to be organized. Because if this were like a real serious medical event and I was having to find the things that you would need, I'd be, we'd be dead. Like, it's just that first aid kit is a mess. That whole area under the sink is disgusting. So, so we need I, to loop that in because I have, at the end of the year, the task is to replenish the um, food stores, the mm. bunker supply, the apocalypse yeah. shelves down down the basement. So in addition to, like, replacing all the canned stuff and all the yeah rice and pastas, we should add to that adding first aid stuff, first yeah. aid kit stuff in there. And if anybody knows anything about that, I'm just, I've been winging it the past few years. I, I, I have like a bunch of basics, you know, it's like rice and beans and pasta and, you know. Vodka. Uh, definitely vodka. <laughs> Not only is it an anti, uh, you know, a disinfectant type thing, but it's yeah. also good for bartering if you need to barter in a world without cash. Or just drink so you need to pass out. There's that too. Maybe you need to light a flare of some sort. That's what. Oh yeah. That's good for that. Um, so you definitely have the vodka in in your emergency preparedness kit because uh, there's different ones. There's the go bag. There's the like emergency like I need to just put this in the trunk of the car and and survive for two or three days. But then there's all of the the you know um, waterproof buckets full of food and whatnot down there that could last you weeks or months yeah. or whatever it is. And I know that there's a certain, um, is it, uh, there's a religious sect or a religious group that's really good at this. Is it, is it, is it Mormons? Is it Seventh-day Adventists? I would there's... assume Seventh-day Adventists because they're all about the, like, waiting for the apocalypse. That one in Jehovah's Witnesses, like these, all of those groups are kind of about the coming of Christ. And so that, means the some version of the apocalypse i mean the seven day adventists those are the people who also live forever because they're just eating like beans and grains and they're they're a blue zone yeah they're a blue zone down in was it linda vista is that the name of the no linda vista is the neighborhood i grew up in san diego you're thinking of loma linda loma linda yeah isn't that where richard nixon's from Uh no you're belinda oh but i think wasn't he a no, he was Episcopalian. What? There was some president that had some kind of connection to Seventh-day Adventist. I don't remember. Through the Illuminati? Yes, through okay. the Illuminati. <laughs> and their secret society at Yale. The only thing that I'm reading, or I wouldn't say the only thing I'm reading, I'm going back and forth between Indigenous Continent, which is the nonfiction book about, uh, obviously, Indigenous people here on in North America, and then also Iron Flame. So it's I've got this massive spectrum of like dragons and 
fairy porn and then crossing back to <laughs> like the Iroquois fighting with the French in <laughs> the, the Great Lakes area. I'm glad you're of sharp mind because a lesser person would start conflating the two stories. It's a lot of warfare, honestly. It is, and I am <laughs> trying to go, okay, wait, which warriors are we talking about here? But I've listened to some really good news, uh, like news articles. The three episodes in a row of The Daily last week were so good. The Wednesday episode was all about free speech and anti-Semitism, what is allowed, what shouldn't be allowed on college campuses. That was fascinating. The second one was about uh, Kate Cox, the woman who filed a petition to have an abortion in Texas. And then the Friday episode was all about Taylor Swift, told from the perspective of this woman who's been covering Taylor and went to the Eras tour and really talked about how her music was almost a religious experience for her. Uh, even as a 40, and she says, I'm a 48 year old woman. I'm not as a teenage girl connecting on the love songs. I'm seeing how these songs speak to the human experience in relationships. So, I mean, it was just this like fascinating swing across topics. I'm not going to get into the college thing because if you really want to know about it, go back and listen to one of our first episodes of this podcast. I'm not going to get all worked up about it. I'm not going to get worked up about college. Taylor Swift. I often think about Taylor Swift is not a one hit wonder by any means, but a lot of artists are, they hit it big. They have a really great role in a movie. They have a hit song. And then they kind of cling on to the fame. The second album's not as good or they never really hit that height again yeah. on, a, on a movie. Or maybe they do something interesting, but they really get known for that, that one thing, that one song or that one role or whatever, whatever it is. And I often wonder why folks who don't necessarily have a deep reservoir of talent they just happened upon a great role or they happened mm -hmm. to have a great song and there's not a lot left there in that reservoir um why don't they just coast coast on that you know if, if i wrote another thing is a book right if i wrote a novel that was super popular uh option for film made into a movie like i might think i don't know if i have another one in me and it's okay if i don't I'm going to be known for that one. I'm proud of that one. And I'm just going to make sure to budget my money so that I can coast off that for the rest of my life. Well, that's what Andre 3000 has been talking about recently in his interviews where he says, he's like, look, I'm not going to go out and rap again. I'm not. But he's got a new album out. I know, but it's playing the flute. flute. Yeah. He's a flautist. But that's what's, it, it, that's fascinating. It's fascinating because he has said, he's like, I don't have those emotions in me. I don't have that drive. But, but, I, I'm but he's a fun super talented, charismatic guy. That guy could make it in fashion if he wanted to. Yeah. He could make it as an actor if he wanted to. He's he so likable. And he's, he's, he's likable. He's super talented. He's gorgeous. Uh, he has so much style. And I think he chose the flute right now. But, you know, maybe he's going to choose something else in a few years. He might yeah. show up as a painter. You know, someone who has a who has talent like that and it's just choosing i don't want to do the same thing over and over again yeah. i get that you want to reinvention you want to keep things interesting i guess i'm thinking more about people who clearly don't have that talent you know um i don't know name any band from the 
early 2000s, Taking Back Sunday, or I don't know, some, some group you've heard of, and like, oh, they had that one song, and then they're still touring at casinos or whatever yeah. it is. Like, Well, you can make a lot of money on those casinos. I guess I mean, you I can. I think that's the thing, is, is, is there's two, there's probably two schools of thought. They think they can strike lightning twice. They, they think, oh, maybe if I keep trying, I'll come up with something. And you, don't, I, you don't think it's, do you think it's that they think they're going to come up with something? Or do you think it's that they dislike the limelight and the attention? And um, they feel like they need to keep that up. I think it's different for different I'll people. tell you, I don't know the guy's name. I'm not a sports ball guy, but I did hear about this guy who recently signed with one of those sports balls teams. <laughs> I don't know if it's the Yankees. I don't know if it's the Dodgers. I don't remember. Uh, there's a young phenom. I guess he's considered like the best baseball player on the face of the planet right now. Young guy. He just signed a 10-year deal worth Are you talking seven- about the Japanese guy? Yes. Yeah, the Mariners really, what the they were trying hard to get Did him Did you hear to about how, the contract he signed? No. He signed a contract for 10 years for $700 million. Woo! $70 million a year. But do you know Woo! how much he's getting paid per year? Two million dollars a year. His salary would be two million. He's going to defer sixty-eight million dollars a year, and there that team is going to pay him into perpetuity. So let's <gasps> say he only plays for those ten years. Now he's getting the balance six hundred and eighty million dollars will be paid to him over his lifetime for the next several decades. That's smart. That is smart. And and look, two million dollars is a lot to live off of. Plus, a player like that's going to get endorsement deals. He's still going to be making lots of money, right? But he maybe he gets injured. Maybe he doesn't want to play bas- baseball anymore. Maybe he's not that good. Ten years later, he isn't out. Like, oh no, my one hit wonder is over, and now I'm broke again. I need to yeah. play baseball to make money. No, no, no. He knows he is set for life. Right that's now. the deal a lot of these football players should be making, too. Absolutely. Because they, they know they time out. Yeah. But, it's, like, imagine if you could do that. Imagine if you had, like, the biggest indie film that's winning the the, the awards at Cannes or whatever film festivals. Yeah. And people have a bidding war over you. And if you could architect a deal that says, no, 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 I'll take a modest thing for this. I'm going to defer. The thing is, you don't really know in movies what's going to take off. and Yeah. You know, but... But imagine if you could architect that. Like, this is my one hit song. I'm just going to make as much money from this song. And I'm going to live on what I can now and know that the residuals will come. So this is all not about Taylor Swift. Not about Taylor Swift. Yeah, because that's not her problem. Not at all. But you, when you were talking about her and the religious experience and all that stuff, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a really interesting thing if she just disappeared? Just went recluse? And just wasn't in the public eye anymore for a long period of time. I mean, it's kind of like the fantasy of people, what people think Elvis did, right? Yeah. Oh, he, the fame got to him and he like, now he's on an alien colony somewhere. Or he's yeah. hanging out with Richard Nixon on a beach somewhere, you know? Yeah. People fantasize about the idea that he was the most one of the most famous people on the planet and then just disappeared and didn't want it, want it anymore. That's, that's like a fantasy people have, which is not realistic. Yeah. But like, what if it did come true? Well, I, I think... The Taylor seems to be in such a creative part of her, like, moment of her life right now. She should keep writing. The thing is, she's also a super savvy businesswoman. The The whole thing that she did with re-recording her masters, mm-hmm. I was 
reading this thing about how she's she's been very influential in the music industry where all of these artists now are going out and, re- and doing it themselves. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, speaking of Andre 3000, like Snoop was saying he wished that he still had it in him to go and re-record all of his early stuff because he doesn't own any of it. Hmm. And now that he has his own label and his own business enterprise, he'd love to be able to have that as part of his library. But he just he doesn't have like the youth, the yeah. anger, the, you know, he's just, like it's not there for him anymore. Uh, but a lot of other artists have now started being way more thoughtful about when they record these songs, how are they retaining ownership of the masters despite what labels buy it or But again, that's it. one of those things where you never know. If, if, you, if you're talking to a label and they're like, we want to sign you up, we want to put this out, and you say, yeah, yeah, but I want to maintain ownership, they might say, Okay, well, I mean, we wanted to put it out, but it's not that great. We're not willing to give up that upside. Uh, we don't know if you're going to be a phenom or not. We don't know if you're going to be a hard worker or not. You could just do this and flame out like a lot of artists do. Yeah. This particular woman who was the reporter, she was connecting it where she had worked at a magazine for a long time and she felt deep connection there. She doesn't name the magazine at all, which I thought was really oh, interesting. That's knowable information though. I uh, totally. <laughs> and she found out that she only made a third of salary of what her male counterparts were making. Oof. A third. And she said she felt completely betrayed and that this boss who had always said, I'll stand up for you, I'm your your biggest advocate, was also the one who was signing off on this totally off-balance wow. compensation. And so for her, she said a lot of these songs that Taylor has written and sung about her business dealings and feeling betrayed by people who were supposed to take care of you and be part of your, you know, your growth and your your you know, what makes you strong and betraying that trust was was really impactful for her. So it's a great listen. It gives you a deeper appreciation of Taylor. I want to tell you about something I've been reading about today. Okay. Have you heard of an Enneagram? An Enneagram of personality? Yes. You have heard about it? What yes. do you know about it? Gosh, I know people who are really into... Astrology, Myers-Briggs, numerology, neural diversity, they all kind of have converged on Enneagrams. I started to take the survey or the test, I don't remember, and I lost interest. This happened a couple of years ago. So I don't know my Enneagram number. I don't know it. I had never heard of it before. Oh, okay. But the other day, somebody brought it up in a business context. Mm-hmm. A woman who I respect brought up and she seemed really into it. Like she had had professional proctored tests before with her teams in corporate settings. Yeah. And she described that understanding another person's Enneagram number helps you understand uh, how best. Oh, I can't remember. It's, it's either how best they communicate or how best to communicate to them. One of the two. But it helps you deal with people. Yeah, there's so there's the colors, the colors test, 
was a super popular one within the corporate space for the last few years. Oh, I'm an orange. They're a blue. So now we know how to well, relate to each other. The thing I've learned, again, reading, doing a deep dive on this, I've learned that this particular concept of the Enneagram dates back to like 4th century century Alexandria. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, oh, it's that's really, cool. really old. Now, not necessarily the way we talk about it today. The thing that... Um, The thing that people do in corporate settings today, and I guess this is one of the places where it's it's most popular, is in the corporate business world, it, it, with with the, the different personality characteristics, and therefore like what that means about you. That stuff's all pretty new, but the foundation of this spiritual concept dates back to then, and a little bit more recently, it was used as so part of the, part of the enneagram is the symbol. So it's like a circle. Imagine a circle and it has numbers around it like a clock, except that number nine is at the top. There's only nine numbers. And then numbers like three, six, nine are connected by a triangle. And then all the other numbers are connected by, you know, kind of triangular lines. And so there's this this shape. And it was used long after Alexandria, but also long ago um, in meditation, like using that symbol and movements Mm -hmm. that mimicked that in meditation. And it wasn't until pretty recently that a like Bolivian born, I don't know, you'll call him a philosopher, spiritual guy, put more of this practice to it. But even more recently, it was a guy named Claudio Naranjo. This guy who came up with, with it and popularized the idea in the United States, guess where he taught this? UC Davis? Close, Berkeley, but more importantly, oh, that sounds about right. At the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, oh, which you all may know if you if you, if you, if you haven't driven so the badly. California coast and don't know Esalen or Esalen, Esalen, I think it's, it's pronounced Esalen. Yeah, it, it is the place where um, supposedly Don Draper went in the last episode of Mad Men when he was out on the coast <sighs> and meditating. And he came up with the whole "I want to buy the world a Coke" song. That was his takeaway from this spiritual retreat. I love it. But that's where he was supposed to have been. Uh, this storied, you know, I want to go there. Yoga, spiritual, meditation retreat in Big Sur. And oh, I should say before I, in my reading, it's pretty clear that people consider this a pseudoscience, and there's really no validity to it. And yeah. the studies have shown that most people, just by reading the description of the nine characteristics in this enneagram of personality, most people accurately predict which one they are they can just see which one it is and that's what the test comes oh, back really yeah so you don't really need the test you just oh, kind of that's interesting um and also it just doesn't apparently doesn't map to anything there's there's no um there's just no science behind it which is fine uh but the the nine the nine characteristics or, or what do they call them you know yeah your role your role as a is one of these things uh one is the reformer perfectionist there's the helper giver there's the achiever performer. There's the individualist romantic. The fifth one is investigator observer. Then you have the loyalist loyal skeptic. Uh, seven is the enthusiast epicure. There's the challenger protector. And the last way, last one is peacemaker mediator. Th- those are just what they're called. I'm sure there's a descriptor of each one. Yeah. And then you can read that descriptor and kind of figure out but each one of those apparently maps to um, an ego fixation, 
a holy idea. They can describe a trap that you may fall into. Based on your personality, uh, there is a your basic fear and basic desire that this model describes. What was the challenger one? The challenger. The uh, in this list, Loyal? it's number eight. Challenger protector. Challenger protector. Uh, who it says here, the ego fixation is vengeance. Um, the holy idea mapping to that one is truth. Um, basic fear for that person is being controlled, harmed, or violated. And the basic desire for that person is to gain influence and be self-sufficient. So based on that description, if I read that for each one of these nine, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to do, but if I did, most people say, oh, that's me. Yeah. And then they take the test and most people are right. That's interesting. Uh, so that means it's probably not that deep. It's not, it's not, uh, what's the it's word not like for? Myers-Briggs. It's not revealing. It's not illuminating of something yeah. maybe you don't already know about yourself, perhaps. But, but, it, but it helps, though, in a corporate setting where you're trying to understand that's their personality type. This is my person. I mean, that's why they do that in those corporate spaces. To the degree that it is accurate, great. To the degree that those descriptions and how to deal with that person is pseudoscience and doesn't work. Oh, yeah. I think most of it's just, it's a boondoggle. I I, I, I think they're super fun team of, sorry. Oh, I upset Dharma. They're super fun team events when you're all coming together and you're the hot, you're the boss and you're trying to fill up time for an all day set of meetings great i think it's a great and then it's something to talk about but do people actually ever reference back to it and they go oh i'm an eight and they're a two it sounds like you were on this call where someone actually did that yes and pretty strongly wording i'm a this and oh oh you're that oh i love the i love nines i get get along with nines or whatever and really had internalized this thing. But, um, you know, what do I do when I learn about something like this? I immediately look at the skeptics, right? I immediately look at, look at the criticism. Yeah. And I found this quote. I don't know the guys, this guy, Robert Todd Carroll, but apparently he's a well-known skeptic who tried to debunk things. And his quote about the Enneagram oh, yeah. of personality. Like a real life of the party. Yeah, I'm sure he has a pretty fun daily existence. But good, good, good quote here, anyway, where he described it as one of those you know, pseudoscientific theories that can't be tested because they are so vague and malleable that anything relevant can be short um, to be shoehorned into the theory, which sounds like that's the case here because if anybody sees themselves and it makes sense within the rubric. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, I will probably end up taking this test. Yeah, I want to know. And I will report back. Um, what, what were the names again? You want me to read all those nine again? Yeah. Um, because I think I heard one that was that I thought was you. Okay, this is great. I want you to, and if you narrow it down to like two, then I'll read all the descriptors for those ones, or whatever it is. Oh, geez, not for our podcast listeners. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because what I want you to do, I want you to make a prediction. Okay. I want you to make a prediction. So, okay. reformer, perfectionist, helper, giver, achiever, performer, individualist, romantic, investigator, observer, loyalist slash loyal skeptic. Enthusiast, Epicure. You're those other those last two. Okay, then there's the challenger, protector, the and the loyal, peacemaker, mediator. You're the loyal skeptic and the investigator observer. You wouldn't say individualist, romantic. Mm, I, 
bad. I think you are an individualist and you are romantic, but I don't think that's the core of your personality. Okay. Investigator, observer. Um, the ego fixation, fixation is stinginess. The holy idea is omniscience and transparency. Well. <laughs> okay. Uh, your basic fear is helplessness, incapability, incompetence. Yeah. And your basic desire is mastery and understanding. Yeah. Okay. And there are other things, vices, virtues, yada, yada. But these are the ones I feel like are most descriptive. Yeah. So let me go to the next one, the loyalist, loyal skeptic. Uh, the ego fixation is cowardice. Oh. The holy idea is faith. Now you're, you're second guessing them now. Yeah, I okay. don't think that's you. Okay, I'll go for the basic fear and the basic desire for that particular person, the loyalist, is uh, fear is being without support or guidance. No. And uh, desire is to have support and guidance. Uh, that's not you. No, I, I agree that that's not it. So I, it sounds like your prediction for me is investigator, observer. Yeah. And we will report back. Yeah. Did any of, did any of them resonate with you? I think the challenger protector one sounded, that was the one that caught my ear, but there were probably other ones that I, I, I I'm more of, because I, you know, I've done the Myers-Briggs a, a couple of times. The first time I did it, I was in high school and then, and college, and then I did it a couple of times and then I've, you know, there's an online version of it now and I always got the same results. Really? Yeah. Is that typical that, do people take it multiple times to get different results? My my guess would have been that over time your personality changes and you have different values, but my I mean I remember I was I was an INTJ when I was in high school and I'm an INTJ the last time I took it. Is that something that's been? Does that get um, criticized or do people accept that that Myers Briggs is a pretty good test? Um, I think it's, it's, it's dependent upon how it's used because I think it used to be used as like a career survey. Yeah. So if you're an INTJ, I think people have kind of moved away from that. You should be a woodworker. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Go into the healthcare industry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you're INTJ. You should be an engineer. Okay. Well, I suck at math. Okay. Well then maybe customer service. No, I mean, I don't, (laughs) you know, I have no, so that was when I took it in college that's how it was being used. But I do remember in college I took it and the uh, facilitator looked at me and she goes, oh, INTJ and you're a history major? And oh, really? Yeah. And I said, yeah. She goes, I, this is, <laughs> I mean, she was kind of at a loss for words. She goes, this is a super rare personality. Is a rare personality within Myers-Briggs. And she goes, and it's not usually for people who have kind of a, not fine arts, but social studies, kind of a softer skill background. So This makes me think about another thing that I have not yet read. I read about, but I've ordered it. Not yet read it. It's a book called Mastery by Robert Greene. Mm-hmm. It's a, the basic way to talk about this book is that he takes a look at Several well-known people, whether it's Michelangelo or I don't know who exactly they are, but well-known Einstein. And he traces back how they sparked on what they were excellent at later in life. Hmm. Um, You know, I think with Einstein, the example is that somebody gave him a 
a compass when he was very young. And yeah, there are these these unseen forces out in the world that could control this compass. Oh, really, really fascinated him from, from cool. like four years old, right? Yeah. And so he spent his entire life trying to describe these unseen forces in the universe. Yeah. And those that's an extreme example. But the book, from my understanding, I haven't read it yet, it talks about anybody has that. Any person has what they are meant to do. And if you identify that when you're and it's harder to do when you're older, it's easy to do or easier to do when you are much younger by just listening to the voices and the, 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 the pull inside of you, uh, attracting you to something that you're really, really, really passionate about. Yep. And the idea is, and this is not like a new tread, you know, a, a new territory, but the idea is that if you find something that you that drives you, that you wake up in the morning wanting to do, then your life seems to have a lot more order and purpose to it, right? Yeah. It's not like, what should I do today? Or what am I going to procrastinate about? No, no, no. If you found the thing that really drives you, you wake up in the morning, you start tackling it, and your life just makes a lot more more sense from that point of view. So that's an interesting idea to me. Um, so I have that book coming. But it's the idea that for each one of us, there is a thing that we are potentially masters at we are potentially i don't i don't think that i haven't read the book yet so i don't want to say these words but you know the idea of we are meant to do or more to the point the thing that we are most apt to do well that's the that's the crux of think like a monk by jay shetty is it yeah where and you and i had a debate about this because he takes the concept of dharma and applies it to if you do find that thing that you're supposed to do you find that thing that you are the universe has put you to do you find it and once you find it everything is supposed to just click into place it doesn't mean life will be easy it doesn't mean that you'll be abound with riches and all the comforts it just means that it's a sense of purpose there's a sense of purpose there's a balance to the universe because you're in the place you're supposed to be. And even Carl Jung has his own theories on that too, where he, you know, when you talk about the, oof, this is getting deep, the Gnostics, which is the early Christian sect, where a lot of them believed heaven wasn't necessarily this, you know, paradise in the skies with the cherubim. It was about, finding your mental like you find your your internal nirvana right like you find your place in the universe or how you best serve others or where you can be of most benefit and so you know jay shetty talks about it and think like a monk carl Jung talked about it in the world of psychiatry the early christians talked about it i mean i think that there's a universal truth it is towards finding who are you? How do you strip away all these distractions and find the thing that is your purpose, your place on this planet? This is the thing I'm supposed to do. And I that's why I'm always so fascinated by the people who are like, yep, I work in pest control and I fucking love it. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like, this is the job I was meant to do. I'm good at it. I feel I love working in this role. I love the people. You know, like, yeah, that's not an it's not a lucrative job. 
but they're happy. They're now fulfilled. You, now that you say that, like, I can imagine, you know what's exciting to me is this, this world that's not too far off whereby, you know, a lot of work goes away and we have, find ourselves with a lot more free time. And then people talk about a world with universal basic income. And one of the dangers with that I've always thought of is what are people doing all day? Yeah, they squander it. Yeah, and if you're sitting around... Because they don't know what to do with and it. And they don't know what to do with themselves, yeah. right. And that's dangerous because now yeah. what are you gonna, you're going to be destructive. You're going to yeah. look around for... Idle hands are the devil's tools. But I can imagine a world in which what we're doing is not training you up to be a doctor or a lawyer or a software developer in order for you to make this the huge income and get rich. Yeah. But instead, what schools and what your upbringing is, is finding your purpose finding the the thing that makes you happy yeah because guess what you don't need to make money so if you didn't need to make money so stop having adults tell you no you're going to be a a businessman or you're going to be a lawyer or whatever it is and just say well what's just listen to your inner voice like what's the thing that like makes you jazzed all the time yeah and just do that because you don't it's not about being successful and making money it's going to be about how is each day fulfilling the robots are doing it the ai is doing all that crap You've got nothing but time. What's going to make today fulfilling for you? I think that most people, naively maybe, are inherently beautiful, creative souls. And I think it's the hardships of world, of capitalism, of living in communal societies Mm -hmm. that push us to our extreme limits. Well, it sounds like I have a lot of reporting back to do. I think we're going to have to uh, Enneagram ourselves. I know. I'll have to see what I am other than INTJ. Once this uh, mastery book uh, comes my way, I can talk about having read that. Um, you've got Jay Shetty on the shelf. I guess I could read that too. Yep. The thing about de-alcoholized wine, by the way, I just mucked that up, but I've been pretty good at saying it every time. And every time it comes out of my mouth, I'm surprised that I didn't step over it. Dealcoholized wine. Yeah. Wow. The thing about it though, it makes you have to pee a lot. Go, I don't know why that is. Go to I'm going to do that. We're only a few days out for Christmas. Yep. What are we looking forward to? Maybe other than Christmas or maybe Christmas. Um. Oh, I'm looking forward to my solstice sound bath on the 21st. What? Yeah. Wait, like this week? Yes. All right. I'll take the bait. What's a solstice sound bath? Okay, so you know what the solstice is, the winter solstice. There's a lot of solstices, aren't no, there? There's aren't there only, multiple solstices? No, there's only two solstices. And a there's summer two, solstice and a winter solstice? Yep, and then there's the spring equinox and the fall equinox. Oh, okay. We have equini- equinoxes, equini? Equinice? Equino- I don't know. But yes, so the winter solstice is December 21st. Uh, supposedly the darkest day of the year, but here up in the Pacific Northwest, sometimes our darkest day of the year is a little bit earlier than that because of cloud cover. Mm. Um, so the city of the city we live in, their recreation department has some kind of event through their parks program. This is through the city. Yeah, it's through the city, but it's you know it's like it's like. I'm a yoga instructor and I'm giving classes through the city or whatever. So it's actually going to be down at the waterfront center. And 
I don't know if there's going to be yoga, but there's definitely going to be sound baths. So it's the bowls and it's all about the solstice and feeling the light come back into the year and meditating upon the changing of the season, the start of the new celestial year. Why are you interested in a solstice sound bath? First of all, I would like to celebrate the solstice in a meaningful way. So I would like to be with other people who want to mark it as a milestone within the year and come together and uh, perform a ritual or a meditation together in a space. Sound bath is something I've always wanted to do. I think there is a lot of healing and meditation and practice that can come from the bowls, the singing bowls and how they're played. And from the pictures, it looks like it's a darkened room and there's candlelight. And I just, I think it's going to just be this really sensory experience with the vibrations of the bowls, the music, being with other people to celebrate the solstice, the light coming back into the world. Have you roped anybody else into this or are you going solo? Well, I did try to rope other people into it and I don't know if other people ended up purchasing spots. So I may be going solo because there were only 12 spots. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it'll be a small group. So that'll be on Thursday. I'm excited. Something definitely to look forward to. What time of day is it at? It's nighttime. I know, but what time? Midnight? No, I think like seven. I mean... Seven o'clock here, it's going to feel like the middle of the night. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Four o'clock feels like the middle of the night here. I know. I've sort of had that problem where I'm on um, video calls for work and, you know, it's 3, 10 p.m. And all of a sudden I'm having to turn on all the lights in the house yeah. because I'm standing right in front of a window, by the way. I'm standing right in front of a window at my desk yeah. and I'm just in, in darkness. <laughs> It's so dark. And this is when people ask, oh, you're from California. How do you like living in the Pacific Northwest? Can you handle all that rain? The rain is not the problem for me. I can handle the wet. I have no issue with that. I actually love rain. It is the dark. People do not realize how dark it is up here. And it really that to me was the bigger shift coming from california it was not the wasn't the weather it was the dark because yeah, I mean, there are days we hard. may as well be in alaska and then there's a part of the year where there's a lot of light yeah the summer is fun i mean it's still the sun is still kind of shining in the sky at, at 11 at o'clock this at hour, night yeah at, at well even at 11 o'clock at night yeah so you it's, know it's interesting it's because hard. one of the most famous cultural events in seattle is the fremont solstice parade that's the summer solstice. Yeah. And it's famous because there's a lot of nudity, people riding yeah. bicycles with no clothes on. That's what gets the pictures in the paper. But it is a celebration of the, that long day. It's a celebration of all that light and sun in the summertime in acknowledgement of that most of the year we don't get that. There is not an equal, or maybe there is and we just don't know about it. There's not an equal event for the winter solstice. There's not like a large well, yeah, gathering. Because it's cold and wet and dark. <laughs> Go inside. <laughs> but I mean, that's where Christmas comes from. That's where Yule comes from is is the the winter 
solstice. Oh yeah, give us some other other names. What what are other names we we need to know for this time of year? Well, Ancient you, names or Yule is the big one, and Yule Yule is actually where we get the word jolly from. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, because Joel Yule yeah. Yule. So that's when when you talk about someone being jolly. It actually has a direct connection to this time of year and being festive and, you know, Christmassy. What's a Yule log? So the Yule log was a special log that the Celtics or the pagans would essentially burn as a as a ceremonial bonfire. Hmm. And we know that from some of the other uh celebrations that when we talk when witches talk about the wheel of the year you have yule you have imilk you have saint bridget's you know you have these different moments where you burn logs like fire is this it's one of the elements it's timeless it's ceremonial so the yule log is supposed to represent the light returning back into the world yeah so yule is fun solstice is fun it's supposed to be exciting, but for those of us in the Pacific Northwest, it just means we're going to be facing cold and dark for probably another four months, which <laughs> is hard. So anyways, it's great. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Anything from you? Yeah, I don't want to harp on the whole dry December thing, but you know, Christmas Day, have some nog, have some wine. Yeah. Hopefully there's some wine in a, in a stocking for me. Oh. It's not too late, everybody, if you haven't purchased a holiday gift for me yet wine always good there's a always very good pointed glance in my direction when that was <laughs> being delivered by the way i i am so proud of you and how you've been sticking to this dry december yeah you keep saying that and it has like a, a undertone to it that i think is not flattering oh really yeah oh i'm sorry that's like it was an impossible task and you've i think it is really hard it's really hard if you were to tell me if you were to tell me stop drinking coffee, I'd have a really hard time with it. Like really, really, I mean, my mom's going through that right now with some new medication. She's on like, I mean, I told you, she said, oh, I can't drink any, have any caffeine. I was like, is life worth living? I wouldn't be able to do it. So I think when you have something that's part of your daily ritual and then to say, I'm going to, you know, kind of cut part of that out, it's hard. It doesn't even matter if it's wine if it's coffee, if for people, if it's going running or whatever, like it's a part of your day. That's so I don't I don't remotely mean it in any negative connotation or in I'm not intending to be patronizing. Like I acknowledge it's really, really hard. The only time I've ever, ever had to do it is when I've been pregnant and frankly, being having morning sickness and being sick just generally <laughs> yeah, yeah. like supported that effort. I'm proud of you. I think it's hard. Well, what I'm looking forward to then is quote unquote dry January and all these suckers trying to do the new year and start off the right. No way. No, you maybe I should do year. dry December. Maybe or there's January. some sort of analogy here. Maybe there's like a, you know, with the, with the whole solstice thing, you know, I get to celebrate a new year of excitement where everybody else is going to start off their new year. Not everybody, but the people who do dry January. Yeah. Which you should do it. I support it. But you're starting off your year on like a challenge. I think it's more fun to like hunker down in these these winter months and do the challenge and then yeah. start that new year 
like yeah. a Bacchanalian. Well, you know, uh, I love it. Amelia said, she said it was totally on brand for you. How so? She goes, you know, he's he's zigging when everyone else is zagging. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's so true. It was good. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, babe? No, I think we're good. All right. I think we're good, too. All right. Good night. Good night. Love you. Love you. Love you.